0: Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. This episode, again, we're diving into the upcoming spring seasons and what to gear up for. Alright, welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. So, yeah, so, I mean, we are in the middle of April right now, mean, it just feels like we're in a, just kind of a holding pattern of all the things uh, that are coming up over the next few weeks in regards to different activities and seasons that are going to be opening up and opportunities. So, you know, the two big things that we've got coming up, of course, is turkey season. It's going to be opening up here next weekend, and... So here in Michigan, starting the 22nd, uh, is the season opener, and then again, it's going to run through different seasons uh, till the end of May. And again, we're kind of in the same time frame where a lot of other states have either already opened up or be opening up the same time frame as us. So everyone's kind of in that same mindset right now for turkey season, essentially. And then also uh, several of the um, fishing seasons will be opening up in the next couple weeks as well. Uh, I know I'm getting pretty excited in regards to that. Um, you know, looking forward to being able to you know get the boat out and take, uh, take my youngest daughter out fishing. And I've had uh, a couple opportunities to go out already and, uh, and do a little bit of pre-fishing of some of the areas that I'm hoping to be able to target here in the next few weeks. But before we get into uh, the topic for the day, let's go ahead and head on over to the old Conservation News Desk for a couple of stories and updates. <laughs> All right, so for this first uh, bit of stories is an update on some apparently new gun regulation that has come through for the state. Uh, These are ones that I really wasn't even tracking. I know that I highlighted a couple um, back on episode 58 of ones that I had known about. These are ones that just weren't on my radar, and apparently they've just been signed into law this past week. So this first one is Senate Bill 79. Uh, Now this one is essentially, um, they dubbed it basically the the Safe Storage Act, where uh, basically it's basically under law now that you have to be required to keep any firearms uh, basically stored in a locked or secured manner, uh, basically to ensure that a minor, you know, can't get a hold of it and use it. So basically this is a stating that a firearm that's not currently being utilized or in your possession must be secured with some form of safety device or secured in some manner. The next one that goes hand in hand with that is Senate Bill 80. This is basically just the uh, you know criminal uh, classification or penal code for if you do not secure uh, that firearm. You know essentially what it comes down to is that if you do not properly store your firearm according to Senate bill 79 then you are subject to any you know criminal charges if that firearm is used to harm anyone or basically if that firearm is you know within a visit or if a minor is caught in possession of that firearm and that you are found to have not been properly stored uh, then you are held criminally liable and they break this down so basically failure to store a firearm resulted in injury failure to store a firearm resulted in serious impairment of bodily function and failure to store a firearm resulted in death again i highly encourage you read them yourself to see exactly what these penalties are next one is senate bill 81 now this is one i actually am in favor of so basically this what this is is a short-term bill to basically to have any type of um, firearm safety device or storage or um, or any type of secure firearm storage that they're going to be essentially that these items are going to be tax exempt essentially uh, over the next year so basically uh, beginning 90 days after the effective date which again it got signed in this month up until December 31st of 2024 uh, any type of firearm safety device is exempt from otherwise provided sub- subdivision. Um, so basically, like any type of trigger lock or anything like that, and then any device that was installed a firearm designed to prevent firearm from being operated without first deactivating the device. Gun safe, gun cases, lock boxes, and other devices designed with light material used to prevent access of firearm. So again, this is a good thing. To actually have in law again I'm not quite sure why they have only a cutoff date or cut to have a cutoff date of 2024 or at the end of 2024 you know you would think that this would be something that you'd want to have pre or you know prolonged now I'm sure it's one of the scenes where they're just trying to promote it short term but they um, I'm sure they're looking at they want those tax dollars from those items uh, so I'm assuming that's why they uh, have that cutoff date it doesn't make much sense if the idea is for um, safety that they would have just that they put a cutoff date or an end date of that. You know of this classification. So this next one is House Bill number 4138. This one is essentially a, uh, a universal background check slash gun registry bill basically covering the fact that now any firearm is that's gonna be purchased must have an application and be granted a license for purchase. So again, this kind of falls into kind of the typical uh, points of a universal background check where basically, again, any firearm being purchased, you must submit an application for and be granted a license to be able to purchase that um, firearm. And the license will of course have the uh, basically a description and I'm assuming probably serial numbers and everything like that of the firearm of that you've seen purchased so it's a it follows the typical background check but they add a registry per uh, portion of it now again it gets a little bit in the weeds where basically you have to have a license to be able to buy any firearm that includes uh, not just the pistols but also any long gun uh, basically anything over 26 inches in length uh, falls under a different category now you still have to get a license for that but then it gets into a little bit of the weeds when you get further down into it where um, it's it's a little unclear on if you are still going to have to follow the same process that you would for a, a pistol where you have to take it to your local law enforcement and basically submit paperwork with them so they know that you have it they they, for most of the bill, it goes over talking firearm, 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 and then partway through it, they transition and they talk about they're using the word pistol. But they don't really make it clear on um, once you've got the license for that long gun, on where that information goes or who it has to be submitted with. At least when reading through it, I didn't find anything significant. Once you've got the license for your, you know, rifle or shotgun as to if you have to submit that with anyone or if the dealer is submitting that with anyone as well but i'd imagine um based on the wording of it that it is being tracked or or recorded uh, in some form of database i'm sure of it uh you know certainly if anyone that has read the read this uh, law or had you know has previous you know work with it or is a dealer or anything like that maybe they can you know let me know um, or make a correction here for me where uh, you know maybe that I'm either missing something or I'm looking too much into it here so these ones here have all been passed um, through they've gone through the uh, both the state House and Senate and the governor has signed off on these bills now, there's a couple, there's another one that I wanna highlight that is House Bill uh, 4145. This is essentially, um, uh, to give it a better you know, classification, it's a red flag law. So basically, if you're deemed a, let's see, we'll, we'll use their terminology here. Uh, this act may be cited as Extreme Risk Protection Order Act. So basically, if you are deemed a potential um, extreme risk, um, then you could be subject to uh, having your firearms confiscated, uh, basically until you can prove that you are no longer a risk. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it's one of those things that you think that it's not going to, um, you know, it wouldn't hold up in a in any type of legal sense, but they are proceeding with it so basically anyone that's a family member or guardian or health care provider mental health professional um the police department uh basically anyone that works within public safety uh who else we got here yeah public safety department law enforcement officer um and again basically they basically have to give a uh reasonable um, argument that you may be a um, maybe a threat uh, it even goes so far as to even if you even uh, may not necessarily even have committed a crime if you even get into an altercation where you make any type of threat to an individual you could be subject to this law so again you know, this is something you want to read through yourself but unfortunately you know based on our current uh, breakdown of the our government I don't see anything that's really gonna slow this down as outside of um, public outcry really so so again this one has passed through the house um, but again it's got to go through uh, the Senate as well as make it through the governor's desk which I don't see you know both those Both those areas are probably going to pass it, Um, but hopefully, you know, hopefully, there's something that can slow this down. Um, And I did forget this one here, so this is House Bill uh, 4142. This goes in conjunction with House Bill 4138, basically, the the House Bill for 4142. So this one covers the uh, basically the penalties and the legal ramifications um, if you violate or 41. If you violate House Bill 4138, on what the legal ramifications are, and then just give a quick update on uh, two bills that I highlighted back on 50 or episode 58. This is House Bill number six five four four. This one is the assault weapons ban. Uh, this one is still in committee to, committee right now, so I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that this is still kind of sitting in committee and hasn't made much progress. And then also uh, House Bill six five four six. This one is the open carry law, um, basically banning open carry of any long guns or rifles or shotguns. Again, this one's still in committee as well. So no progress is made on any of these two. But again, those other ones have made it through the House, have made it through the Senate, and the governor has signed off on them. All right. So that's it for uh, for these legal bills and gun bills that are you know, certainly not any good news for any outdoorsman, um, except for maybe the one about being able to uh, get some... Um, Tax break when it comes to buying like a gun safe or storage cabinets or gun cases, um, you know, those, you know, that one is probably the only one that I've gone through so far that actually makes any sense um, to incentivize people being safe with firearms um, other than just penalizing, penalizing and taking guns away. So let's get into a more fun story and a more upbeat story. So this one comes from uh, Realtree.com. Uh, this story has made its rounds through social media um, and probably even has come across your newsfeed or you may have seen this already but it's a it's a fun story it's a cute story and it's a story about a massive buck so three-year-old finds monster deadhead buck in Ohio so in the the part of the the next header goes when Rhett Boucher and his grandfather went out to gather firewood they had no idea a three-year-old shed hunter would find one of the biggest dead heads in ohio's history so to give you an idea his three-year-old are out uh, again these are outdoors uh, an outdoors family uh, that go a lot of shed hunting um, and hunting in general spend a lot of time in the outdoors so this kid was no stranger to going shed hunting and knowing what to look for so basically they were out, out gathering firewood and Rhett was just kind of putzing around, kicking through the grass, and stumbled upon this giant uh, buck that had passed within a month's time. Now this buck's gross score um, comes to 276 and 4 inches. So basically the story goes that little Rhett stumbles upon this buck... And starts yelling for his grandpa to come see, and immediately as the grandpa approaches, starts seeing the antlers sticking up. Calls, uh, Rhett's dad. He comes out, and everyone's just shocked at the size of the rack. (laughs) Now the story goes on that Rhett is uh, not quite as impressed with the rack right away because he's looking at a dead uh, deer skull that's missing his eyes and probably parts of its, you know, skin and everything like that. So basically missing its face. So after he kind of um, gets past the shock of seeing basically a, a deer, you know, missing part of his face, then re- realizes just how big the antlers are. So basically, they uh, called to get it scored, and basically it's made it into the records books as the sixth largest non-typical for the state. Again, it falls under the category of a found, um, you know, trophy. But one of the cool thing is is that uh rhett's dad has put rhett's name on on the records books um so anytime you look up that buck it's gonna have rhett's name on it as the founder of of that buck so massive deer uh comes out to a 23 point buck um and and then actually uh, oddly enough comes very close to having an even score on either side so after measuring the muck ended up with a mass up ended up with a mass 126 and 5 8 inches on the left beam and 128 and 5 on the right so a 2 inch difference um, and still as a non-typical so it's amazing uh, you know just the sheer number of points and how evenly they actually came out to uh for score wise between the left and right side so again this is marked as the sixth largest uh non-typical for the state so amazing find so fun story cute little kid that stumbled upon a massive massive deer so good on him good to see that he's getting good plenty of publicity on it You know, hopefully that he'll one day be able to, you know, harvest a buck um, that can be just as memorable as this for him. All right, so yeah, fun little story about Rhett. Congrats on him for stumbling upon just a absolute giant of a deer. And unfortunately, again, for the Michigan, we are on a trend of uh, we're going to see a lot of gun regulation come through. Um... Over the next few years, I'm I'm afraid to say so. So, not good news on the gun front, but a great story for Mr. Rhett. So let's start getting into the topic at hand when it comes to uh, what's coming up over the next few weeks. Again, the big one is turkey hunting season. It's going to be, well, let's just say I've heard of a lot of people that are quite eager about it. And I've talked with people that are kind of meh about it you know, right now we're looking at, you know, kind of this, a little bit of the same trend as last year where some people I've talked to are seeing lots of birds, um, you know, in their travels and as we're scouting. And I've heard of people that really aren't seeing much of anything. You know, for me, I'm kind of more on not seen much of anything, at least in the area that I'm, you know, traveling quite a bit. You know, I have seen a few, you know, Uh, hence you know kind of cruising kind of solo really and then I've seen a few you know a couple times out in the field uh, you know kind of that midday stuff Um, but nothing uh, nothing like I have seen in the past where you know basically it it would be a rarity not to see uh, a turkey on the side of the road or in a field uh, doing their thing really so kind of it it looks like it kind of depends on just what your area is and kind of what you know what habitat or train or the number of birds are in your area on what you're seeing really so um you know basically again i've i've picked up a tag for the second season which again i think is a little bit telling of uh, the number of people that may or may not be hunting this year uh, usually that first and second season especially for this area uh, they fill up pretty quickly and you know there's very At least in my you know experience of looking into it they usually don't come across where there's leftover tags especially for that second season Um, you know and if there are a few there's not many and they go pretty quickly but this year you know again I've looked at it you know a couple weeks ago and there were still a couple thousand tags left over and then I waited a week pulled it back up again because I was actually gonna buy a tag and then sure enough there's still over 2,000 tags available so I don't know if that's uh, you know telling of what the kind of the mindset of is for individuals that you know the turkeys just aren't there so they're really not that interested in going out uh, still or um, or um I don't know I don't know uh, it's kind of too early to tell as, as to why you know the turkey sale or turkey tags are down and as it stands right now again second season is still gonna be hopefully pretty well action-packed with a lot of you know, the breeding going on and you know, Tom's hopefully being pretty aggressive and doing a ton of cruising and a lot of the birds, uh, you know, looking or, you know, cruising, trying to find hens and and whatnot. So hopefully things are go well. I know I've got a friend that is uh, going to be kind of doing his first turkey hunt for the year. Um, so he's actually very uh, excited to be able to hopefully get his kids out and hunt. So um, he's actually gonna probably be borrowing a couple of uh, decoys from me, and uh, am my uh, blind, so he can uh, basically use a crossbow with his kids um, and hunt. their kind of small, partial, um, and they're kind of in their back field and back their property there. So, so I'm hopeful that they can have some success. And you know, he said that they've got turkeys in the area, but they've been hanging on the on the out on the neighbors so he was kind of picking my brain today about uh essentially you know how to draw those turkeys in talking about calling which again calling you know is good to get them going you can get fired up again the you gotta keep in mind that for nature that the hens are just supposed to go to the tom so calling may not be enough to call a tom all the way into you Um, that's why i'm a huge advocate for using some form of decoy um, it draws their attention again. Uh, turkeys are very visual, so if they see, uh, you know, what looks to be an other turkeys out there, it may draw them in. I typically like to run at least a hen with a Jake. You know, basically that hen uh, is, you know, kind of what that those toms are looking for. if they see another tom or Jake um, posted up with it, it may infuriate them or you know make them want to come in and either. Uh, try to claim that hen or push off that Jake or that Tom you know, decoy that you got to um, be able to breed that hen. So again, I like to use, um, you know, if I had to pick either between having a call and a decoy, I would probably take the decoy over a call, um, especially if you're in a area where you can't really go um, and, uh, you know, kind of go after the turkey. Now, if you're in like a big, you know big public land area and you have a lot of room to be able to move around you know maybe if you're going to do some be a bit more run and gun um you know maybe calling would be you know more advantageous or you know uh, more useful to you because um you're a little bit more mobile you can just go off the vocalizations and try to cut off uh that turkey or you know try to draw them in um that way but if you're kind of more stationary you know decoy i think is where you want to go with that and again, I'm, you know, I would love the the fact of trying to or love the opportunity to uh, get a trick with the bow. But at this point, again, I'm my, <laughs> I guess my investment into it and uh, my confidence of how good to be able to draw in a turkey or have an opportunity at a turkey is still relatively low. So I'm gonna go out with the shotgun, um, you know, hedge my bets on if I can get a turkey within range. I'm more apt to be able to harvest it um, just by having a more lethal uh, weapon with me there. So, so we'll see what happens over the next couple weeks on, uh, you know, how, what my motivation is when it comes to turkey hunting uh, this year. You know, again, last year I bought a tag and never ended up going out. Uh, basically, I the couple days I had, I opted to go out fishing instead. But this year, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, I can. You know get some motivation to you know give it a shot this year especially since I've got second season and it's only for a week so I uh, might put a, a bit of a fire underneath me to try to you know get after them a little bit more than in years past I should say <clears throat> and then the next big thing is I'm this is probably why I'm kind of wishy-washy on turkey hunting this year is because I am far more motivated to go out and do some fishing this year so um, you know, basically, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, really the big seasons coming up. You know, the the trout and salmon is going to be opening up, pike season, walleye. Um, you know, those are the big ones that you know I'm really excited about. You know, I actually went out um, just the, just a few days ago uh, out to the Platte River to kind of check out some of the spots and kind of do some. You know just kind of get my get some practice in of uh doing a little bit of fishing you know certainly there's still um some of the seasons are open um you know the salmon's um open in that in that stream and then of course you can always do catch and release um, for some of the trout <clears throat> so i went and tried my hand at it and you know basically was down at the lower end of the plat down towards closer to lake michigan and you know it was really um it was a good day uh you know i didn't see or didn't catch any um salmon or trout down there i really actually didn't see any in the holes um there i did end up seeing a lot of pike uh, up in the shallows and you know certainly they're in the middle of their um their spawn so you know there's i mean i don't know probably 10 12 uh just massive females i mean we're looking at you know 30 to 36 inchers um, and then of course they're being you know hounded and you know surrounded by a bunch of little, you know smaller males um, but definitely those big females are up in those shallows um, you know doing their spawn so you know certainly they were very much um, you know preoccupied with what they were doing you know they certainly were not in any mood to eat uh, even some of those in the shallows you know they were very quick to um swim off and get away from any type of movement along shore so they're pretty skittish they definitely you know wanted to be left alone um also ran into um some smallmouth there again they weren't really at least not for the uh the bead setup that i was using you know it definitely didn't seem like they were interested in it you know some of the smaller fish kind of chased the bobber around a little bit but that's about it Um, But the smallmouth were up in there. They were just kind of hanging out. They looked like they were probably getting pretty close to wanting to spawn as well. And then the one thing that was really interesting is that there was um, basically a big log jam, and I could see a fish down at the corner of this log jam. It looked like a good sized fish, Um, so I did a couple casts, floated that bead by it a few times. Um, You know, basically after like about the third or fourth cast, was able to basically kind of get his attention a little bit and it started to drift away from that log jam a little bit um ended up hooking into it of course you know as soon as you hook into it the fish immediately turned tried to get into the log jam had to fight around getting over a couple logs and pulling it away from those log jam so it didn't get all tangled up in that uh, probably it was a pretty good fight it was um i don't know uh I don't know, probably took me four or five minutes to um, be able to pull this fish in. Uh, come to find out, you know, as I'm getting it up it, and realize that it, it, it basically it wasn't a fish I expected to see. Um, so I ended up, you know, pulling up on shore to be able to get the hook out of it and I took a couple pictures and uh, taking a look at this fish and realized it, uh, it was a walleye. Uh, this is one of the first times I've ever seen a walleye in the Platte River. Um, especially you know this far down um you know it's just a fish i never encountered before much less uh hooked it and you know brought one in uh ended up taking a couple pictures of it i actually was you know kind of shocked of it and at first i wasn't entirely sure what i was looking at i thought it was a walleye but again having not encountered this fish before um you know in this part of the river especially uh, I texted a buddy of mine who's much more um, of a walleye guy than me, and he confirmed yep, That's a walleye, and he actually, based on the pictures I showed him, he guesstimated it was probably about a seven pounder. So uh, it was kind of exciting to, you know, have caught a fish I wasn't expecting to or even targeting um, for the day. Uh, it was kind of uh, bittersweet to, uh, you know, catch that fish and then have to turn around and release it as. Uh, Walleye season is not quite open here, especially for our area. So it was kind of, uh, it was fun to have caught that fish, but it kind of stung a little bit to have to, you know, release that fish, especially since how that was uh, by far the largest walleye I've ever caught. So, but it was a good, it was a good catch. I was a little nervous, um, you know, once I got the fish back in the water and it basically, it took almost five to 10 minutes for that fish to recover um you know apparently you know she, she was pretty wore out from the fight and the time it took me to get the hook out um so yeah it took uh, basically me you know, standing in the water just pasty trying to keep the fish out of the current so it didn't get pulled away um at some eventually at you know after holding the fish in a bit got it into a little bit more of the current fish eventually did take off head headed back into the log jam um and then i was able to move on but so certainly uh a fun catch wasn't what i was really looking for uh especially seeing how it wasn't uh one that i could keep so over the next couple weeks especially once the um the general season opens up gonna be hitting the platte river some more try some different areas move upstream a little bit um and hope that i can you know kind of get into uh some more fish you know this is probably year two of me really Um, try my hand at you know fishing the rivers you know I've always been uh, you know fishing the lakes and whatnot Um, so this is something new for me so I'm still kind of learning you know, kind of the areas and the timing um, and really the techniques too so you know right now I'm still just running more or less just a um, a, you know the little a little bead I think it's somewhere between the 8 to 12 millimeter I think uh, or maybe 8 to 10, I don't even remember from when I rigged it up last year. So, but um, we'll see how much longer uh, that keeps my focus, especially once we hit in the May. You know, some of the other seasons are going to open up and uh, I'm going to be targeting some much more um, fish that are kind of more in my wheelhouse or, um, you know, I have a little more confident, confidence in at going after. So, and then um you know the next big thing is uh doing habitat habitat work still i mean everything is starting to green up even the you know all the grasses are coming up any old the winter fruit plot is starting to green back up again so a lot of those um those those winter plants are starting to green up starting to fill in uh from the from the winter again that's going to be my base Uh, for planting into the spring Um, so when I do my spring slash summer uh, food plot slash cover crop uh, that's going to be you know kind of my base my thatch for when I terminate that Um, my dad and I also just went out we planted a couple more apple trees so we've got oh gosh we've got I think seven um, apple trees out there now they're all kind of in different stages Um, we actually had one last year uh, develop some apples you know they basically only got to about you know maybe cherry size um, but it did produce for the first time um, so that's encouraging and then we've got a lot of other trees too that are starting to really get established starting to get some size on them um, so here probably in the next few years we'll probably have several apple trees developing some soft mass um, around the food plot uh, basically hopefully to you know draw more deer give more food throughout the year um, and just you know kind of the idea is really just to make it a whitetail mecca Uh, again I did some um, more uh, cuttings in the in the hardwoods and cutting down some of the poplar trees and you know kind of thickening it up making some bedding areas hopefully do you really utilize them um, just to draw them in a little bit more onto the property give them more bedding opportunities more structure more cover making them feel more secure and safe in there. Then the next big step will be to, again, take down some of the invasive uh, honeysuckle and autumn olive. You know, a little bit of those plants are not necessarily a bad thing. Um, they do provide some, some food, some cover for some animals. Again, the honeysuckle, you know, with the berries that it produces, you know, it's not a very nutritious berry even, um, for especially for, you know, birds and grouse, and what or for grouse and, you know, other, uh, you know, birds and whatnot. So, um, you know, again, the goal is to try to transition to more, um, you know, more uh, a native plant or a native uh, fruit-bearing plant or berry, you know, something that's going to supplement or, you know, what am I saying here? Something that's going to be, uh, you know, a a native replacement of that invasive honeysuckle. So over the next couple weeks we're going to be going in there cutting a lot of those um that honeysuckle and autumn olive out and then also spraying with a herbicide on the stump to prevent any type of shoots from coming up um basically killing the plant outright it's one of it's going to be one of those things where we're never going to get rid of the honeysuckle or autumn olive on the farm you know there's just too much of it and there's too much of it on the adjacent properties as well so you're never going to fully get rid of it the idea is to not let it become that invasive, um, you know, you know, problem where it's overtaking a lot of your natural plants, um, and you know, basically making it to where those areas on your property are not as well utilized um, or beneficial to wildlife. <clears throat> so again, here in the next couple weeks, I'm going to highlight exactly what the plan is, how we go about going after these invasive species, um, and kind of what plants we're looking at to uh to replace that because again if you have an area that's um you know very very thick with either the honeysuckle or olive moth and you clear that out it's gonna change the landscape quite a bit and um you know basically if it's if that was the only thing that was really in the area and you take it all out then you leave basically nothing um so you've essentially cleared the plate even of the you know even if it was a plant that would was not necessarily that beneficial it did provide some benefits so um, if you're gonna you know do it a, a, a removal of those invasive species keep that in mind um, that if you if it's too big of an area or if it's if there's nothing really in the area that um, kind of sustain um, you know that loss of cover or that loss of you know really of that structure um, then you may have a bit of a um, ecological desert for a little bit um, until everything can kind of grow back in and kind of fill in after you've done that removal so keep that in mind as well but that's really it for what i've got going on in my mindset for the next few weeks again it's it kind of feels like um, you know we're kind of sitting here kind of waiting on that storm that's kind of brewing for uh, the things to come Um, again things are going to get um you know really starting over the next few weeks with the different seasons opening up and then the mindset of going into um you know basically for the summer and getting the summer prep done I mean talk with even a couple of my buddies you know starting to get their trail cameras put out starting to do some more scouting um it's really going to be where you know any of these anyone who is a, a white tail Um, fanatic or enthusiast is really starting to get their mind going and start thinking ahead um, for the upcoming season. You know, I even (laughs) saw a uh, a post not too long ago where it was something like um, only 26 more Mondays until opening day. So, um, you know, it's just kind of funny to think about yeah, the season's going to be here before we know it. Um, You know, it seems so far away, but um, by the time you think about it and, you know, next time that you're trying to get prepared you're gonna realize that you've uh, missed out on some opportunities to be able be, get yourself prepared um, you know, it always feels like you don't get enough done um, beforehand so so it's always that's always something I keep in the back of my head it's always knowing that it's not it's not as far away as away as I think it is so all right well we're gonna wrap it up with that again there's gonna be some more uh, updates coming up um, you know, hopefully a lot more stories of potential success and uh, we'll get into a little bit more of that habitat work again you know that's a big focus of mine especially during the summer months of trying to uh, improve the habitat and improve chances and the opportunities for uh, to get a deer um, during deer, deer season so but yeah but that's it for this one so as always get out there be safe and have fun